The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly Guest Dharma series. here tonight. Thanks so much for coming. We're really happy to have Neoshin Kelly back. I, I think Neoshin spoke maybe two or three years ago. I can't remember how long Probably at least two. Yeah, but I think it was also in April or in the spring sometime. And some of you might know Neoshin is uh, one of the main teachers at the Forest Refuge, which is a place for longer-term practice at IMS, Inset Meditation Society of Massachusetts. Sort of the grandmother, one of the grandmother uh, Vipassana organizations in this country. A lot of us here in the Shrimad have practice out there. And uh, the Course Refuge is the new, newest part of Inside Meditation Society. So Neoshin is used to teaching there. Was it six months now a year you're going to be there? How many yes, months? it's going to be six. And she teaches also around the country and is trained both in the Theravada tradition but also in the Tibetan uh, Buddhist tradition. So tonight, um, Yoshin is talking on finding freedom from fear. And thanks again, Yoshin, for coming. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. Good evening to you. It's lovely to be back here. Um, I get very heartened uh, coming, coming here and just, you know, Coming here and seeing what's happening in your community, I went and visited your new center. And, um, it's just wonderful what you're doing. So I, I really thank you all for keeping the light of the Dharma alive in the world today. Um, so as Mark has said, tonight I'm going to be talking about finding freedom from fear. Um, I suspect many of us know fear in some way, that it is... Uh, something that can be quite prevalent in our lives, something that at times we're not even so aware of, can be in denial of, and yet it can be running our lives. We live in a world that's a challenge, to say the least, that there is dangers of different sorts around us, that as a human being we have a body that is incredibly vulnerable, we probably all know of people that were alive and well in one moment and, you know, in another moment they're just gone. And that we, in our lives, are very vulnerable. And out of that, there can often be a sense of dis-ease, insecurity, um, sometimes full-blown terror as to how to really navigate this life. And so, because fear can be such a you know underlying piece and practice meditation practice really will bring it to the forefront you know that it it, it is something that gets revealed through meditation i mean we think of doing meditation as um, possibly as bringing calmness to the mind and yet as we explore the terrain of the mind one of the states that we will encounter is that of fear. And 
So, you know, tonight wanting to speak some about fear and how just in letting it become conscious in our lives that we can actually find freedom from it so that it isn't the state of mind that is driving us. You know, if we look around the world, we see that fear drives the world in really unhealthy ways. And that, you know, there can be people trying to get more all the time, trying to make oneself safe through the amount of material goods, possessions, having a, you know, a safe home, um, people wanting to have power as a way of, of being in control. You know, and we find that in little ways in our lives where we're, we're, we're seeking this control as a means to alleviate the fear where through our meditation practice we can look more deeply to see what's happening here and to actually find what it is that we can really take refuge in rather than trying to find refuge in the changing conditions of life because because everything is subject to change that's never going to be a reliable way to alleviate our fears. Because as soon as we get things the way we want, the way we feel secure, then just due to the conditioned nature of life, things will change. So our practice becomes this exploration of both you know, touching into the, the feelings of fear that can arise and to be able to see what's happening there, to not have it take hold, not grip the mind, and to help us to be able to turn our minds towards that which is truly reliable, that which is a true refuge. And so this is really you know, the exploration that we do in our spiritual journey. <coughs> Excuse me. So what is fear? So just to speak a little bit about what I'm, you know, calling fear. You know, fear is an unpleasant emotion that uh, can be precipitated by anticipation or anxiety uh, or a perceived awareness of danger. Um, it's often accompanied by the desire to flee, the desire to get rid of, away from that which causes fear to arise. We find that there can be a full range of how fear expresses itself. And sometimes it's just a very subtle feeling that we may be sitting and you know sitting very quietly, but there's just this sense you can't quite let go. You know, there's just a kind of a slight inner tension. And that, that one, the mind doesn't settle into receiving this moment as it is. So it can be this slight uneasiness. It might be a sense of dread or uneasiness when we might anticipate having to do something that we really would rather not do. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, there can be a fright in our lives where just a sudden experience. It could even be a meditative experience where even just something in the level of perception suddenly dramatically shifts and it can bring about fear. Or in life we get startled by something. 
uh, sitting in meditation. It could be that concentration is strong and suddenly there's a loud noise. It brings about a fright. Um, sometimes there's actually panic. We, you know, and each of us can have different things that might cause panic for us, and it's usually because it's usually not rational. You know, for some people, just seeing a, a spider can bring about immense panic. Other people riding on a plane. You know, that there's just little things. Some people's social interaction can bring about panic. Sometimes uh, it can move into full-blown terror where it's a very debilitated state where one feels frozen and you know just has no sense of refuge at all. There is, in Buddhist teachings, both a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. And I think it's good to know that there is actually healthy fear. In, in Buddhist teachings, in the Pali language, uh, healthy fear is actually what's called the guardians of the universe. The Pali words are hiri and otapa. And it's moral shame and fear of wrongdoing. And this type of fear is really what helps us to be able to live together and not cause harm to each other. That it, it is a fear that is, comes from respect for both self and others, where we're not wanting to cause shame to ourselves through you know, doing things that hurt people, and we don't want to harm other people. And so it, it's called guardians of the universe. You know, that this, this is really a protective force. You know, examples of, a couple examples come to mind of healthy fear. Um, a healthy fear could be wanting to stop smoking because it causes cancer. So there's, you know, so we get some information that says that smoking is very dangerous to one's health. And then the mind is able to recognize that there is a way to prevent that, you know, so that one can then go about stopping smoking. One of the things that we often find happening as we meditate and become more mindful, more aware, more aware both you know, as we sit here silently and in our lives, just how if we pay attention, that helps bring about a heedfulness. And that we often find that there can become a fear of being mindless because we begin to see that when we're not present and we're just habitually responding, reacting, that easily we can cause harm. And so out of that comes you know, this aspiration, this desire to be present, to be awake, alert in our lives as a way of taking care. So this can be a healthy form of fear. An unhealthy form of fear is one where um, it's based in attachment that uh, we want to guard against loss, whether it be loss of possessions, loss of loved ones, loss of this body, um, things that, you know, can really be out of our control and we can become quite obsessive in trying to protect. Um, And it can lead to a lot of suffering in our lives. 
there's some very common places that we may encounter fear that many people have a strong underlying fear of death. Now that this is quite prevalent. Although many times we may live in denial and actually people whom uh, sometimes appear to be have not have that uh, fear, it's simply because of overriding a sense of death. You know, that it is something that in our lives it's hard for us to truly comprehend that one day this body and mind as it is will cease to be. And we have many forms of denial of it. About a year ago, I think, I was watching a news program and they were interviewing some, a soldier in Iraq who was in the unit that he was in. Many people were getting killed. And so they were asking him how it was that he could go out there every day and fight. And he said the only way that he could do it was to believe that death would never happen to him. And you know, some, sometimes that's the way that we actually live our lives just not believing that death will ever happen to us. And then, you know, one day we might get sick and suddenly we're faced with a reality that this will happen to us. And I don't know, it's been a very strong motivating factor in my own life and maybe it was because at a young age I got quite sick. But um, to work with this fear of death has felt very important. And to let the fear that's there become conscious. I would much rather face it right now so that when I am on my deathbed, that it's not going to be the mind state that I die in. Actually, um, a few years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was alone in this house and there was a strange noise. And, you know, immediately my mind went to there was some robber, you know, I was going to be killed. You know. And then, then you know, just seeing this whole thing happen in my mind. But then the thought was, well, if I'm going to die, I'm not going to die fearful. And boom, you know, the fear was just cut through in an instant. And, you know, I think I think that there's, there's some something valuable. I mean, the Buddha emphasized reflecting on one's own death. That, you know, if we can't face this fear of death, we will never truly live because we're constantly scrambling, trying to cover it over. You know, I think a lot of what we do in life, you know, where we're so busy, we get so identified with what we're doing, it's to avoid facing this truth. But if we truly face this truth, it brings a vitality to how we live. I used to challenge myself on this when I was younger, climbing mountains and <laughs> doing foolish things. But that was what helped to keep me awake, you know, keep me alive. <laughs> We often have fear of the future, you know, that, that, and we might not even think of that, but reflect on in your own life how much you may compulsively plan for the future. 
There is a level of planning that is necessary in one's life that we need to do, but for many of us, we greatly exceed <laughs> that level of reflection. And, you know, so often it, it, it becomes quite ridiculous in my own mind to watch. You know, it's like planning something that when you get there, it's a totally different situation, totally different circumstances, you know, because we have no control over that. But it's as if we could plan it and then we would be okay. You know, it really can be rooted in this desire for control. And so if we walk ourselves through something over and over again, we think we'll be okay. And, you know, it can take up a huge amount of energy in our lives. The fear of failure can be very strong. That you know, I remember when I was young that there was many things I didn't want to do because there was the fear that I wouldn't be able to do it, as if it would show some inherent flaw that I had. And so often living with this fear of failure, a fear of rejection is another. You know, it can keep us from fully loving people because we're afraid that we'll be rejected. Or even from offering gifts. I've seen it in my own life. I was afraid to offer a gift in case it was rejected. And, you know, fear of rejection just keeps us really looking to others for approval. It doesn't allow us to settle and be at home. We can have a lot of fear around our bodies and being in pain. You know, this is something that is very accessible in our meditation practice because many of us sit for 10 minutes in this pain. And, you know, how many times can we be sitting there and the pain starts to get strong. And the mind will imagine all kinds of things. You know, I can have, I've seen, you know, just a, one pain in the chest, and suddenly I'm imagining myself in the hospital. You know, that you're sitting and the knees start to hurt, and imagining that, you know, I won't be able to get up at the end of the sitting, and I might have to have surgery, and I, oh, what about a wheelchair? You know, and then I have to rearrange my house because it won't accommodate the wheelchair. And, you know, it, it proliferates. It catches like wildfire. Many of us may have fear of certain mind states. You know, that, uh, if we've suffered from depression, that there can be a real fear arises when we start to see something of that state of mind. Sometimes if we suffer a lot from maybe self-hatred, self-judgment, that there can be fear around that. Uh, states of mind that we have in the past been overwhelmed by or are not accepting of. And so with that fear and these mind states, we start to feel very fragmented, you know, that there's not any ease in being with our minds. It's a lot of fear. And you know that many people you know, who first come to meditation just to sit, quietly, even for a short period, with your own mind, that can bring up fear. You know, that we're, we're, we're just not used to doing that in our lives. Change. Just the fact that things change. You know, that one day you might have a job, and the next day you don't. That one day you're healthy, the next day you don't. You're not. 
if we were, you know, as children lived in an unsafe environment, it can be really perpetuated, that around change, because we're always looking for some kind of certainty. And, you know, it's just not to be found in these changing conditions. Another strong area of fear for people can be that of public speaking. And just my sitting here tonight with you is proof that fear can be worked with. You know, as a small child in a classroom, I would never, ever raise my hand. You know, I just, I didn't have the courage to do that. And so the fact that, um, you know, I can sit up in front of a room full of people now and be okay with it, you know, that it just shows that fear is something that's very workable. Another fear that arises a lot through meditation is the fear of annihilation. You know, we might hear teachings from the Buddha about not-self, no-self, anatta. Um, We might get a sense that, you know, if we were to really let go, there would just be this giant void, and that brings up a fear. You know, what would the world be like if I wasn't there? You know, this I, me, mine, who, you know, we so often look at the world through this filter of a sense of there being a solid, separate self. If that wasn't there, uh, my God. And so it is actually a stage of practice where we begin to touch into this level of fear. It's something that's quite normal. So if we don't know how to work with it, you know, we'll just we'll be halted, arrested. Our practice will be arrested. So there's just many, many good reasons for however in our lives we might experience fear to really learn how to work with it. To how, how to let it be something that's conscious in our lives. And, you know, it certainly isn't the remedy to try to deny fear. I was once uh, at the Rose Center uh, Natural History Museum in New York City, and there's quite a wonderful program that was being shown. And I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but it was like uh, sitting in this theater and, and you were like traveling through space and it really felt like you were out there in space and they even had the theater rumble and shake at times. And um, quite extraordinary, actually. But while I was there for this uh, movie, there was a young girl that was there with her parents and she was totally frightened by it. And she started screaming. And her parents sat there saying to her really loudly, you are not afraid. You are not afraid. And, you know, here she is screaming. And, you know, that is not going to help. <laughs> and that may be how we've tried to deal with our fear. You know, I know certainly for me when I started public speaking, it was like, mm, no, I'm not afraid. Ah. <laughs> but, but that isn't what's going to get help. It's really, you know, having to have a friendly relationship, really wanting to look into this fear, come to know it, and see, because it's just a conditioned experience. You know, it, it comes about when conditions play out in a certain way. We might have a habit of responding to it. But when we can really just see, you know, it's another state of mind. It's impermanent in its nature. It's arising due to causes and conditions. 
And, you know, very often with fear, there's thoughts that are feeding it. And so much of our fear is based in projection. You know, it's based on thoughts that are not true to begin with, and then we project those thoughts. And, you know, so it's really just this complete fantasy that we get caught up in. And that's not to say there's not times where there's actual danger, but if in moments where, you know, say it could be danger out in the world, and we're out there, if we're just run by fear, which causes a sense of contraction, withdrawal, pulling away from, that's not the way the mind is when wisdom really comes through. That, you know, for for us to respond wisely, if there can be an openness, you know, and one can just simply see what needs to be done rather than just lashing out or reacting, you know, it's going to be much more helpful. So it isn't that, that you know, when danger arises and we just want to override fear and say, oh, it's just a state of mind. You know, if you're walking across the street and there's a truck coming barreling down on you, yes, it's a good idea to get out of its way. Don't stand there looking, oh, fear, oh, interest. You know, there's a place for wisdom in all of this. (laughs) So in working with fear, it's really to learn to recognize the voice of it, the way it manifests. And we all have different tendencies. So, you know, it's to know places where it's going to come up for us. Um, and to notice in your life whether you tend to avoid places that might bring up fear. And that could be, you know, social encounters, doing certain activities, um, just and, and to begin to see if you can't touch into just being with fear when it's there. You know, and, and that's like having a friendly relationship. So you're not saying, oh, this is wrong, this shouldn't be here, I should be different, I should be bolder. Because actually, you know, many times people who are incredibly courageous in their life experience fear, but they are just not stopped by it. They can see it for what it is and then still do whatever needs to be done. And so, you know, for yourselves, noticing where fear is and uh, bringing mindfulness to the experience. You know, really letting the light of awareness be on the experience as it is. Because this is how we'll learn from it. So fear is present to see how it's reflecting in body and mind. Many times there's a strong story around fear. To be able to recognize that and to know it as just being a story. And we might have many different stories that we spin. And, you know, I've seen how powerful it can be to just recognize it. One night I was, uh, I was in the midst of a long retreat and I was sitting up late at night. And in the m- middle of the night, my chest started to get pain in it. And this is not such a good example because sometimes, you know, you may actually need to do something. But in this case, anyhow, there was strong pain in my chest. And I started to think I was going to have a heart attack. Or I was having a heart attack. I didn't know. But it was getting more and more intense. And there was a lot of contraction and fear. 
And then suddenly, I had the thought, it's just a thought. And it, I just realized that, you know, it was just a thought. And as soon as I recognized that, the whole thing was gone. You know, it, it, we often find with fear that we start buying into the story and we can actually create that which we are fearful of. And that is so insightful to see. You know, that, that we, um, through habituated patterns, we, if we have fear around people, uh, fear around rejection, our fear can be so strong that we actually set ourselves up for rejection. You know, that we really start creating that which we're fearful of. So it's really needing to learn to recognize the stories, the places that we get hooked into as believing to be true. And what's helpful when fear is present is to stay connected. You know, often there is a sense of pulling away from, jumping away. You know, that that's what happens that when fear is really strong. There's a strong contraction that happens, a withdrawal. But what's really helpful instead is to be able to stay present. And, you know, sometimes it may be that the object of fear is too intense, but there may be some other aspect in our experience that will help us to stay grounded. You know, it's like I experienced, um, this was again on retreat, where I was going through a space where there was a lot of fear, and my breath was so choppy, and I felt so cold that when I touched in on that level, it felt like death, and that was bring up more fear. But then I just found by being aware of that edge of the skin, you know, that was a more neutral place. Or just listening to sounds, sometimes that's very calming. So if you're out walking, just feeling the contact with the earth. Or if you're doing a sitting meditation and fear is strong, sometimes, you know, sitting with the eyes open and touching the floor, uh, you know, and if it's cold, it can be helpful. It's like some grounding, some place, tactile place of touching in. Because what we want to do is to keep connecting rather than abandoning ourselves, which is what we tend to do, and just get lost in, in you know, very diluted states in the mind. Sometimes we'll find with fear that there is strong energy, strong interest, and we can go right into the heart of it, you know, um, where we just really look fear in the face. And it can take a tremendous amount of courage. You know, I, I remember once experiencing it. It's like, like, like life and death in each moment. You know, it's so intense. It's such a strong state when it's really strong. That, and it can be so powerful to really sit and face that. But it can be transformative. You know, it's actually a tool that many teachers have used. I don't know how Mark is with you, whether he puts you out in these dangerous situations. <laughs> but you know, uh, often Thai forest masters or, you know, send their students out into the jungle to practice where there's tigers, lions. Um, all kinds of natural dangers. Um, people, you know, throughout the time have gone to graveyards to practice. <coughs> um, just gone to places that actually evoke fear. Um, 
So sometimes we have that kind of energy and that kind of interest and, you know, a strong warrior-like feeling. But other times fear is something that, you know, we have to work with in uh, a more timely way where, you know, at times I've, I've had experiences before where, you know, you just kind of see it out of the corner of your eye and just the recognition that the fear is there is as much as you can do in that moment. You know, that, that, and then it may be that it comes around again and um, you can touch into it a little bit more. Actually, I, I just only recently was down in the Caribbean and I was doing a lot of snorkeling. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in the prairies in Canada. So, you know, the ocean has not been my home, although I love it and I love snorkeling. But I definitely had a couple of experiences when I was there where, you know, one was seeing a really big barracuda. And um, I, I saw it and it was like, whoa, I just started paddling right away as quick as I could. And then it was sort of like knowing that, oh, it's probably okay, you know, and then I could turn around and go a little bit closer. Or, you know, in another instance, it was big, big seas and just feeling like, whoa, this is a bit much. But then, you know, finding that I could go a little bit deeper into it. And that's how it often is with fear, that, you know, we can touch the edges of it. And then slowly, slowly, we gain confidence in going a little bit further, touching it a little bit more deeply, you know, letting it really come into the light of awareness. And so it can be a real journey. And it's really important in that journey that we work with compassion, that we're not brutal, hard on ourselves, not trying to force because you know, when we're trying to force the mind to be with something, it can just bring about a great rigidity and can actually strengthen that fear. But if you know, we really work with it by allowing it to come, to opening to whatever capacity we have, and then just staying connected, grounded, you know, at some point we begin to see it's just an empty shadow in the mind and that there's not really anything there to fear. But it's, a, it's a many, many times is a gradual process. I mean, some of our fears will maybe take years to work with, to come close to. So being you know, caring, compassionate in this working with the fear. And yet, you know, if the energy is there, if there is that, that strength and courageousness of heart, to really turn right into it. Because often, in the doing of that, it's just like, poof, no, the bubbles burst. It was nothing. And it was just something that we totally bought into. We find that in the facing of it, that there comes a non-identification with it. You know, that when we can really touch it, allow it to be, we really come to see, we can come to know the texture of fear. So when it arises in the mind, it's like just a knowing. This is what fear is like. This is the state of fear, which is very different 
from when it's my fear. I am fearful. I mean, if, if you, in whatever degree you can open to fear, just notice the difference where you're defining yourself by fear, where there's a sense of being run by the fear, and where fear is being known. They're, they're very, very different. And, no, I think it's really, you know, from what I see in life, important to get to the root of what causes fear. I've just, you know, in recent years been struck in um, being around both people who have been quite sick and uh, elderly people um, who may be uh, going through, entering into stages of life where they don't have the same level of energy available that are like our coping mechanisms. And so, you know, there's ways that we can keep things at bay when we have a lot of energy. But what I see is in our lives, there comes time when we won't have so much energy. And so if we haven't really gotten to the root of what creates this fear, those patterns come back in. And so while we have a healthy mind and body, or to whatever degree of healthiness we have, you know, while we have the energy to really do this work, it will serve us. It will really help us to find a mind that is free of fear. I wanted to share a story that comes from the Thai forest tradition. There's a couple reasons why I want to share it, but I'll first tell the story and then uh, speak a little bit more about it. So this is from Ajahn Pan, who was a Thai forest monk who lived in the early 1900s. He was at one time traveling with a group of monks passing through an area with tall grass and thick bushes. There were said to be many buffalo, big snakes, wild crocodiles, and elephants that would charge and kill people. In fact, right before this incident, some monks had been trampled and killed by these same elephants. As the monks approached this area, some local villagers tried to persuade the monks to pitch their umbrella tents somewhere else. But by this time, the monks had already began setting up their tents. And one of the rules that they live by is once they do this, they have to stay put for the night. And Ajahn Pan retreated this to his group of monks because he said, no matter what happens, you must be willing to die for the Dhamma. And then he instructed his monks to do Brahma Vihara practice, which maybe many of you are familiar with, excuse me, um, loving kindness meditation or compassion, appreciative joy or equanimity. So at about 10 p.m. that night, the elephants turned up and they were led by a huge bull. Ajahn Pan's tent was the first one on the path. The elephant came and stood right over him and stood motionless. Ajahn Pan was practically underneath the big belly, which widened out on either side. One by one, the elephants squeezed past the monk's tents. The last elephant was more mischievous. The villagers called him Twist because he had one twisted tusk. After he passed by, 
he turned around and started to charge the Ajahn. In this terrifying moment, the Ajahn was not disturbed. He later said, with aspiration toward awakened understanding, my mind was equanimous. If I were to die in this mind state, I would go straight to Tushita heaven and be watching the elephant from there. Ajahn Pan then directed his mind to penetrate the minds of his disciples. I then looked into the minds of my four companions and saw that they all aspired toward awakened understanding. I felt relieved that my fellow monks all had the same intention. The story goes on to say that the big bull elephant managed to stop the other uh, elephant from charging, and then the bull elephant walked up to Ajahn Pan and kneeled down and lifted up his trunk as if paying respect. The Ajahn was reported to have said that the bull must have been a bodhisattva. <laughs> There was a couple of things that touched me in that story. First, to say that in the, the story, there was no mention that these other monks were fully enlightened beings. And yet, their practice clearly gave them protection from fear. And it wasn't about having a particular outcome, that you know, if they practiced diligently, then they wouldn't be charged but it was rather in that through their practice whatever happened the mind would then be protected I also was very touched about the faith and the trust that they had in the nobility of their aspirations you know just that willingness to in Know, any situation, a situation that seems so dangerous is where we tend to want to shut down, where they could just rest in that faith and that trust. The mind can find an unshakable faith, unshakable trust. It's, you know, it's something that through my own practice I've touched into at different times and have really just sensed the ease of the heart that comes in. You know, it's where we really feel at home in life. We feel at home, at ease, in this body-mind experience. Not so threatened. But it takes, you know, a willingness of heart to allow things like fear to be sur to surface, to be understood as it is in its nature, you know, as just a conditioned state, to really look deeply into the patterns that may be feeding the fear, underlying it. And as we do this, we have these moments where we do touch into the refuge of awareness. I'd like to uh, share a teaching from a man named Hamid Almas, who is a teacher who lives on the West Coast who brings together a synthesis of Eastern philosophy and Western psychology. 
And this is about trust, but it, it also very much relates to this working with fear. We don't trust that if we relax, we will have the capacities, we will have the intelligence, we will have the strength, and we will have the compassion that we need to deal with our lives. We don't trust that reality, as it is, is fundamentally fine and will work for us and support us without any interference on our part. Basic trust is learning that life is manageable, is workable, that we can relax into it and just let it be. It is that trust that the universe itself supports us and that we have the inner resources to deal with whatever life presents us. Basic trust means trusting enough to let your mind stop, to be silent within. Trust to let yourself be silent within. Knowing this, if there is something you need to know, the knowing will come. It means trusting that if you need to do something, you will be able to do it. It means accepting and trusting the silence, the stillness, the beingness. If we don't trust, we can't let our minds be silent, and we can't let ourselves be still. Our practice will take us into unknown territory, and we need trust in order to do this. When we begin to touch into trust, we begin to see how this fear is really not what we thought it was. You know, it really is just a bubble in the mind. Although, you know, there can be many life situations that have fed it. Uh, You know, we could have been through great trauma in our lives. But as human beings, we have the potential to free ourselves from restrictive, habituated patterns. And this, you know, there's been so many people over the course of time who have been through immense difficulties and have been able to awaken, to let go of these restrictive patterns that keep us feeling small and separate and allow us to live our lives from a place of fearlessness and trust. So, I guess we still have some time now, so I'd like to open it up for questions or comments. Um, by Hamid Almas, and it's in from a book called Facets of Unity. Yeah. Well, that was an easy question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
you were speaking earlier of facing the fear, of noting the fear, feeling it, and not running away from it. And then you went on to talk something I, I may have missed at this point there, but it sounded like you were talking about a, another way to deal with the fear is to come into the body. To, like to, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of sometimes when I have those moments in the middle of the night of fear, I start following my breath. Mm-hmm. And I'm not dealing with the fear. I'm mm-hmm. just sort of ignoring it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of what it sounded like you were saying. But mm-hmm. I, so I'm looking for yeah. clarification. Yeah. So the question is around, you know, I talked about sometimes really facing the fear and other times coming into the body. So uh, many times it will feel like too much to delve straight into the fear. And so what you're looking to is what's going to help you stay present. And so you're actually, in a sense, inviting balance to come in so that the mind is not overwhelmed. If we just get overwhelmed by a state of mind that's not actually bringing mindfulness to it. It's actually reinforcing the state and it's not so helpful. So if we can't really be there with mindfulness, and that's where, you know, sometimes you can. You, you know, it's like you're just there with it. Um, but other times, that's too much. And so what you want to do is to do things like you said. He said sometimes he, in the night there'll be fear and so he'll go to his breath. That can be helpful, you know, as a way of staying connected. What you want to watch for is the pattern where we just abandon and are disconnected and the mind just is proliferating and caught in its anxiety. And so breathing can help stay connected. Awareness. And and within that, you know, it may still be that there's the picking up of fear, which is a way of allowing the mind to be to know something where it's not so threatened and to the fear filters through. And but there's a sense of going back and forth. So the mind's getting stability to stay present by touching something that's less reactive. Yeah? I, I think this question is related. I I, I guess I want to understand more clearly how to um, be present deeply with fear in a way that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my experience, it's sort of, uh, you know, I, I, I come into the sort of the difficult feelings in the body, I come into the images, the thoughts in the mind, and then, you know, it will fall away. You know, my mind will go somewhere reemerge, and it's it sort of, but I, I feel like, I don't know, you know, you talked about sort of uprooting or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't, I kind of, um, I can't find that. I, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So question around fear, <laughs> how she can be with it in many different ways and then it'll go away, but doesn't have a sense of uprooting it. One of the things to know is that that is a common experience and that we don't need to go trying to get deeper into it that things by its nature come and go. And so when it's here to explore it, you know, and if we want to, to do things in our lives that we know evoke the fear, if we're wanting to work in that way, is also fine. But to let it go when it's gone. You know, so you don't need to um, make it be more than what it is. And 
for me, the times when you know it's really felt like there's been this face-to-face encounter with it, it, it has where it's really emerged as full-blown terror, and it's done it repeatedly, you know, in certain instances, and that um, it was really through continuity of mindfulness to be able to see just where the mind kept darting away and the continuity of mindfulness is key in working with it uh, I was once on a retreat again and experiencing a lot of fear I was practicing with Seda Upandita whom maybe you've heard some stories of you know a real strong taskmaster and at night I was experiencing uh, as I would fall asleep things would happen in the mind and the terror would arise and you know, at one point, he, he there was a couple of really good questions he asked me. Well, one was first, he asked me if I was noting fear with fearing mind, which I was. You know, and that was just like this timid little mouse having a feather in front of this big dragon, you know, fear, fear. <laughs> and so it wasn't really touching that fear. It wasn't There wasn't that connection with it. And then, then another piece that he told me, he asked me if before I went to sleep at night, whether I would even have the thought, I wonder if the fear will happen again tonight. And uh, yeah, I have that thought <laughs> every night when I lay down. And he's like, you can't even have that thought. You have to be mindful, so mindful that that thought doesn't even arise. And you know that didn't happen for me. But there, what what it called? I mean, and this was really, you know, the sense of. Uh, full being as present as fully as I could with it was that as soon as the thought would arise it was seen and so it never grabbed hold and and that's the thing around many of these thoughts with fear they grab hold so quickly that if we aren't mindful the identification has already happened but if there's the continuity of mindfulness and it's seen and it's rising and it's known that's just a thought. It doesn't grab hold in the same way. Yes. I'm going to say that I have a lot of fear that I won't be able to see what I'm going to see. Profound fear of talking in front of a lot of people. But, uh, for me, it, it, my take on you were talking about different types of fear fear of death, uh, fear of the future, uh, fear of relationships and the take that I had on it starting out pretty early and being an adult it was, uh, was fear that my, as a root fear of abandonment mm-hmm. yeah. um, because of the universal experience of being a dependent being an unconscious dependent at birth and for a fair amount of time there that um Abandonment is, is a real fear of, of death, of future, of relationships, and that, and that however, whatever's formed in those really early years, as for me, which was really pretty bad, I mean, not, just, not because people were bad or anything, but because my reaction to what happened was, was debilitating, um, that the, that the understanding that root um, and going to having that will that willingness that you talked about our willingness to go towards fear, somehow that was just something I heard as well. And so 
and kind of didn't have a lot of choices because of the uh, things that happened and, and uh, urgency that was there. Um, and so understanding that fear of abandonment and that very subconscious, you know, coming from an unconscious time mm-hmm. and that really peculiar universal situation that we all start out in. And, and also when you talked about uh, having the defense mechanisms or um, the, the uh, energy to, to deal with fears and to not uh, and to process them as, you, as we age mm-hmm. and losing that, that energy and, and become elderly and we can't and so there isn't the opportunity and you said there's an ability to do that and I, and I think there's also something of a responsibility to do that mm-hmm. as a human being but mm-hmm. it's not quite uh, widely accepted as a responsibility but, um, but but it feels like that for me at least because, yeah. it, because I think that I wouldn't have been able to survive if I hadn't done yeah. that which yeah. kind of helped even though that was hard it kind of helped me to perpetuate the end of that so yeah. but I really liked it what you said it was really really Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I just want to mention just what you're speaking. Um, I'm just getting my tradition suddenly mixed up. Uh, There's a a monk, Mahagosananda. Is he Ajahn? He's not Ajahn. What is he? Uh, I'm a Cambodian author. Yeah. What's the title that? I think I just hear Maha. Maha Okay. I just want to make sure I give due respect. I mean, he's such a he was such a wonderful being. But um, some years ago, I was at a teachers' meeting and he was there. And at this point in his life, he was elderly. And he's I don't know if you've heard stories of him. Have you told many stories of him? A couple times. Yeah. Read Jack Clark. Some of us have read Jack Clark books. Yeah. Just such an inspiring monk and how he lived his life and helped the Cambodian people. Um, so I was at this meeting with him, and at this point in his life, he was starting to lose his faculties. But he, his face was so radiant. You know, he, he just reminded me of the Buddha saying, what you turn the, your mind towards is what you'll reap the fruits of. And it was just seeing, you know, like seeing where his mind had been turned. You know, it just radiated loving kindness. You know, so he was having trouble getting from A to B, but you know, there was this beautiful being. You know, it was real inspiration, and yeah, I do feel like we, in our lives, to um, really see the, the turning of our own minds towards that which is trustworthy. You know, that which will bring peace into the world. That's what we can do. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Is there much doubt on the difference between the Tibetan and the Theravada views of fear and what it is in the Um, no, I don't, you know, I, I don't think so. Actually, my Tibetan teacher, my main Tibetan teacher, Minjur Rinpoche, lovely man, when he was young, he had panic attacks, um, and he was this, you know, one of these tokus, and uh, uh, he has a, a tells his book that talks about his experiences of it. And it really was about just facing his mind. You know, and at a very young age, he was able to do that. He was able to sit down and really just look right into that fear. But, you know, 
I think that you know you would find it in all Buddhist teaching that it's about really looking into the nature of the mind itself. Yeah. When you were um, introducing fear and talking about the different kinds of fear, it was like I got this new laundry list of, of things that are actually fear that I hadn't recognized. Uh-huh. Yeah. Before, I was like, oh, I do that and that's fear. Oh. And it was sort of, and so um, I guess my question is what, in, like, how do you recognize when something is motivated by so the question is, how do you notice when something is motivated by fear? She heard some descriptions of fear that she hadn't recognized before us here. One, one really simple way is just to notice when you go to do something, is there a contraction in the heart? You know, which is just can be a little, that can be an indicator. Often looking to the physical body can reveal fear. Um, I think it's just good in general when we can, you know, as we remember, to really notice. You know, it can be simple little things that uh, we might be offering something to somebody, but it could be driven by fear. You know, and we would have never thought of it, but when we we we're giving them something because we want them to love us, or you know that there's some aspect of fear in there. But always just looking at what's underlying what we're doing is really helpful. And the other thing I want to say is don't let fear be a dirty word. You know that that it's let it be on an honest word. That you know it's like you go go, go oh my God look at there's more fear there. But let let it be just honesty and that's okay it's really okay that's just the journey of being a human being yeah. yes it seems to me like there's a couple of way, different layers layers maybe isn't a very good way of putting it here but one is the more immediate kind of fears like being here but then the, the, the other layer of fear, of fear seems to me like, it, like what Steve was saying was really connected into growing up or childhood mm-hmm. and these, yeah. because it gets this deeper, deeper, yeah. deeper, and yeah. it's much more difficult to work with mindfulness yeah. that way. I'm curious of any comments you might mm-hmm. still use mindfulness, I'm assuming, but in a different way or what? You can still use mindfulness. You know, many people have uh, do a combination of uh, doing a meditation practice and doing therapy. Um, that has worked very well for many people. Other, some people may be able to do a lot with meditation. It really is individual. Um, in my own experience, and and of many people that I know, that. It, some of this stuff will it be like almost cyclical, will come around, it'll be able to be touched into a certain level, and then that will be like enough for now. And then it'll, you know, at some point come around again and touch, you know, it goes back to your question that some of this stuff just keeps coming around. And I just think that there needs to be a persistence with it, a steadiness, uh, a willingness to be with to whatever one's capacity is. And that's where. You need the compassion. You need the kindness. 
because sometimes it isn't just the right time. You've got to let things unfold in their own time. You know, and, and I've seen people in practice try to push through some of this early childhood stuff, and it never, it doesn't work. You know, it really can re-traumatize. Um, so that's where you need skill in how you work with it. To know when, okay, this is as much as I can touch into this right now, but I can turn my mind here. You know, so, you know, when, when I was going through a period of having a lot of fear, I, you know, sometimes, if it was getting too strong, would chant metta continuously. And, you know, it was very calming. It's also a practice that the Buddha had given to monks who were experiencing strong fear. So, you know, it just helped to steady the mind. So you want to be able to bring the mind back into balance so it's not overwhelmed. If you're finding that it's overwhelmed, then that's a signal you're going too far with it. And that the mindfulness in that moment isn't strong enough to meet it. And so you just need, again, honesty. Honesty, and so then finding what where you can connect. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I've had the experience. Uh, I've seen it in myself and in other people. So there are things that one can be afraid of, which um, like you spoke of. Uh, speaking in public, I, you know, I, I, I read poetry, and it, it, it used to be really frightening for me to get up as a poetry reading or something. And now it's like I really love it. You know, once I'm up there, mm-hmm. or, or dancing, you know, I, I was afraid of dancing, and now it's like I love to do that. Yeah. Uh, I've read about like, people who've had uh, near-death experiences where they've been clinically dead and then come back, and they said they're not afraid of dying. Yeah. So the experience is not only that the fear dissipates, it disappears, but it can actually be transformed into mm-hmm. something very joyful. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could say something about that in terms of the spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of the spiritual journey, I mean, there's a couple of things that it, um, you know, it's really to see things as they are in their nature. And when we do that, you know, fear is not what it appears when we're caught in the state of fear. And so when the mind is not caught, yes, there's joy. You know, that there, there is ease when the mind is not caught. Um, when, but when we're identified with it, defining self by it, it's very debilitating. Um, so the journey from fear to fearlessness is a very joyful journey, and one that we, you know, through the overcoming of small fears in our lives, which you know I think is why it's very helpful to recognize and to really work consciously with that, that starts to build confidence to work with these deeper ingrained levels of fear that are harder to work with. But you know, we gain confidence through working with the smaller fears. And that it is, yes, a joyful journey. Yeah. Yes. One of the things that I think I do when I feel fear, which I feel a lot, is um, I tighten up and, and um, 
get um, more rigid or more um, stern with myself. I'm quite sure that the more courageous and the more skillful thing to do is to be quite a bit softer and gentler. But just can you talk to this this idea of of trying to be, you know, stern or seemingly sort of brave or or just all the ways of getting harder Mm -hmm. around fear when the courageous thing to do is to be softer. So she's just uh, asking about the, when she experiences fear. There's a sense of tightening and you know trying to appear brave or, or um, stern, and that probably the more courageous thing is to be softer with it. It's really to recognize whatever our habituated tendency is, and right there, not to get hard on yourself because that's your tendency. But just what one of the things we do is we start to feel the effect of that. You know, if we're bringing mindfulness to it. So we feel the effect of that tightening. And when we really allow that to be felt, we feel the brutality. brutality. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like when we, when we can let the mind touch that, it lets go of its own accord. So it's, you work with what is. Not how we should be, but what is. And so then paying attention to the effect of that with kindness. Interest. And no judgment. Yeah. You know, honesty, honesty is so helpful. If we can just recognize this is what's happening. You know, and if you can be honest, that honesty can bring about non-identification. Because it, where it gets painful is where you define self as this. Yeah. So I think there was a question in the back. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that one of my experiences in working It 
gradually loses the charge of uh, retraction. <laughs> and then that energy, I can start to see that it's light energy that's just very contracting light energy. So for me, this has been very helpful to work with it directly in the body as energy. So I'm not really clear on how you're separating out working with the body and that mindfulness is separate because my experience is mindfulness of the body and its energy quality has been the most helpful of the practices along with loving kindness and, and these other like bringing, bringing a, a softer mind to uh, my support my ability <laughs> and, and that's what's allowed transformation. But it, 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 the energy is still like energy. And, and so, you know, there's times when it's like pulling away and, and grabbing hold and sometimes it's weird, but it's all like energy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, just to clarify, I wasn't saying that mindfulness is separate from the body. But mindfulness of the body is one avenue of working with it. I just also include a lot of the mind, of what the, the, the stories, the thoughts, the beliefs, the ideas, concepts. Yeah. Thank you. Time for one more question. Last question. Okay. I'd like some advice on on an incident that happened to me a couple of years ago that was unusual because I think like many people in this room we live kind of sheltered lives and we don't see death very often and, and what I my behavior at the time while I feel comfortable with it I didn't do what I wanted to do and so I kind of feel like I think about it a lot so that I can try to figure out okay how can I do this differently and so the story is, is that I was driving here to sit, and I came upon, as I came off the freeway, a man lying in the gutter. And I pulled over, and I thought, okay, I can't just drive by him, though, I, like many people, you dial 911. And, and then I thought, well, I just don't feel comfortable driving away. I want to go to him. And, you know, he's not in traffic, but he could be hit, so I also want to see if he's okay. And so I went up, I ran up to him. And he's lying there very quietly, and I stepped to touch him, and it was like I hit this rubber invisible wall, and I just stopped. And I was really surprised by that. And there are three times where I like tried to step forward, and I could not, I could not do that. And I was talking to myself like, "What is it?" <laughs> you know. And I realized that I was afraid. And I was like, "Well, what are you afraid of?" And I think I was afraid that he was dead and that I didn't want to really know if he was dead. And that, well, why are you afraid to know if he's dead? Well, I was afraid that it would hurt my heart. Mm -hmm. I think that's really what it came down to. Mm -hmm. So I replay this over and over again. Well, okay, you come across a man in the gutter next time, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> and so I try to imagine actually getting through that rubber wall and I, don't, I think about it a lot because I would like to get through that rubber wall, but I don't know if I will. Mm. And so I wanted to ask for some tips. Mm. 
was asking what I wanted to ask. Hmm. I mean, you're never going to know until it happens again. <laughs> A lot of the times when there's been an incident, something that we keep replaying in our minds, to to not so much try to figure out, like try to figure out how you could get through the wall, whatever you could do, but you know, as the image arises, to just really be aware what the immediate response in the mind is. So that that if there's something there that needs to be seen, uh, maybe that you've already done your work. We don't know. But if there's something, it, it's like giving the space, but not through trying to figure it out through, through analyzing, but just you know, it arises in the mind. What's the response? We can see what your how your body feels. Whether it's like, oh, here it is again, or oh, there, you know, there really must be something. Whatever, you know, just but allow allow space for it to be arising. Just recognition of whatever the response is, and yeah, you know, just that willingness of heart to allow whatever is there to be there, and let that be okay. And you never know, you know, was it wisdom, was it fear? You never know. Yeah. Okay, well, I want to thank you all tonight, and it's been wonderful to be here and to share with you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate